huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000 square foot showroom is Court certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Candley Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. Blog Talk Radio. Six points. Second. Got to go hard. Here's Ennis. Oh, no! He's going have it. Satan wins! I didn't do that, I swear. Um... Welcome to another episode of Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink here in the Australian National Magician Podcast Network. Um, some clips from last week decided to hang around and torture us, so apologies in advance. Um, and then with me today, as always, uh, Matt and Dan. <laughs> oh. Hello. That was. Uh, yeah. Totally hello. Stuck. <laughs> and there was uh, there was nothing fun about that. Didn't need to relive it in any way, shape, or form. That's super weird. I guess, I guess, well, Sean opened the podcast we did have an impromptu last uh, last weekend, which feels like months ago now uh, with that clip, but it was a little more apropos then when we were going to jump right into that game because it just happened. So now it's kind of like a mean, like, oh, yeah, we still, still aren't in the Final Four, guys. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to do this until the next basketball season starts. <laughs> Every football podcast we ever So, yeah, um, this is like that weird time in the podcast where it's pretty much the cross, spring practice, belaboring what went wrong during the basketball season, or, as we were discussing today, um, throwing shade at Rutgers until we can't throw shade anymore, which I think will be at least a fair amount of our conversation today. There are so many words to shade. <laughs> I've never long. seen so many words on on the banks to begin with. So, I've also never seen our comments, and then I looked, and they're all Penn State people making fun of them. Like, there's 585 And, like, I'm like, all right, there's no way that Rutgers has this many people read this site. And it's, like, 75%, if not more, uh, Penn State fans just being like, what? <laughs> the Facebook shares of that post... Like, whenever I do something for for Sean's site, I hope to get, you know, a bunch of posts, whatever, tweets and Facebook shares. That one, whenever, when John, when you sent that to us on Twitter, it had, like, 920 shares via Facebook. That's, like, it's 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 crazy. That's unbelievable. And, and, and hopefully most of these people are just sharing it to be like, dude, look at this crap. But you I know mean, there's a lot of people like, out there that look, buy into it. And, you know, I've never Penn enjoyed State the, is just, like, this web army. I've never enjoyed the Penn State web of the Internet so much than I have today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was almost entirely Penn State just trolling the shit out of this article. Um, oh, because I think God. there's more comments on this piece than there were on the entire site for 2013, at least based on the uh, the numbers that were sent around the SD Nation family. Uh, it, it's funny because, like, I get what they're trying to do, and they're clearly trying to brew, like, a rivalry with Penn State. And that's not such a foreign thing for us because we kind of try to do the same thing with Duke and basketball. Except our way of doing it was to play two of the best basketball games of the season against them and split them. Their way of doing it was, I don't even know. I don't even know what this was. Like, first of all, they they, they, talked, about, they talked about how, like, like, they were the, like, reigning champions of the Big East. They were 500 at UConn after UConn went up to D1, and they and they were like they won like what a quarter of the games against us, and most of those were during the G Rob and like bad uh, Coach P years. Like, yeah, uh, it's unbelievable. And they talked like they were just this like dominant force moving into a new uh, <laughs> about like moving into this new league. They're just gonna be they're so out of their like Southern leagues. They're so out of it. They're they're just not. Oh God, it's 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 embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for them. Well, this is why Rutgers fans are such a mockery of the internet. And I think like, and this is why I don't care when I you know just call them State University of New Jersey. I don't care when I spend half a podcast about us like throwing shade on them. Like they're not a rival, and 
that's fine. Like, just because they're not arrivals doesn't mean I can't sit around throwing shade at them. Like, they're like that funny younger cousin who every time you see them talks about his report card and makes sure that, that you know that his recent report card um, was special. And even if yours was, was just as good, his was more special, and here are the imaginary reasons why. And, like, probably we've been dealing with this now for years, where just records are so completely <laughs> Like, getting an A at Howard doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing was just... It's, it, it reeks of trying to belong, trying too hard to belong. <laughs> and I think even the most diehard Rutgers fan has to read that and think, what? What diehard is that? You know, I mean, it's just it it doesn't make much sense. In all reality, I mean, it's like if I I guess there isn't there's no there, that's it. There's no reality with that. There's none. It, it's not based in anything concrete that we know. And ultimately, I guess it gets people talking about Rutgers football. Granted, they're crushing Rutgers football because of this, but uh, you know, maybe the the point has been won because. Now we're talking Big Ten, Penn State, and Rutgers, and what it's, you know, the market left on the Big East and yada, yada, rather than just completely dismissing it. Because come September, no one's going to think about Rutgers and the Big Ten. They're just going to think about the Big Ten and the teams that really do matter, Michigan, Michigan State, Michigan State for sure, Penn State to an extent now with a new coach and what's going on there. Rutgers will be completely forgotten about. The same with Maryland, completely forgotten about. So I guess it's kind of mission accomplished a little bit just because Rutgers might as well do what they can while they can type of thing or do what it can while it can because as soon as it matters, we all know that Rutgers, a post like this won't even reverberate because who's going to know? I love the nicknames they made. Like they tried to make, like they basically tried to play off like the Michigan, Ohio State, like that team up there or whatever stuff. But, like, dude, you're not Michigan or Ohio State. You're, like, oh, it's, like, central Michigan trying to make fun of Ohio State. Like, this is un- it's, well, uh, like- the whole thing is unbelievable. I just read it over again. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I know, like, we talked some shit when we came into the ACC, and that was mostly engineered by me, at least at the start. But it was <laughs> it was more of it, – it was our brand of snark that, that we just kind of toss around in general, like – we weren't sitting there making fun of Florida State's football product. We knew Florida State's football product was better. We made fun of their basketball product. Like, we, we identified things that we could possibly use as motivating factors, and we never claimed we were better than anyone. We, we looked at, like, how do, how do we compare to these programs? Um, what do we need to know about these programs coming in? What are some quirks about their fan bases? And, you know, we got to know um, the Clemson faithful very quickly and, and unfortunately and that kind of continued throughout um, all the football season and the off season. I, I think the way Rutgers is doing things is just, for some reason, just like what they did when they were in a conference with us, it's just, you know, just they think their accomplishments are more important because they shout them from a rooftop. Like, if you talk about a career like five, less than 500 record in a conference and, and you're bragging to one of the preeminent leagues in college football, like, you really need to kind of scale it back. And it's like, I, I really kind of hope they do this with every fan base, because every fan base, cause, I mean, Penn State is the, the far, far extreme, but every other fan base in the Big Ten, even Indiana and Purdue, are going to tear them apart. Is it bad that when they cited that they were 2-22 and against Penn State, I was shocked that they had won two games against Penn State? <laughs> like I was, I when were, was when were those two games? Uh, I haven't looked it up because when was Penn State like that bad? I'm looking at it. Right. You know they, they, they beat Penn State in ni- 1988, which was it was bad. Was that a bad year for Penn State? <laughs> yeah, know. they banned for Penn State for Joe Pa. 87, 88, uh, maybe even 89. There was there were lean years, not horrible, but lean years. We beat Rutgers that year by 14. And then they beat Penn State in 1918. <laughs> I don't know about 1918. <laughs> <laughs> they actually well, killed Penn State. I mean, that's just that like bad. Was that also a bad year for Joe Pop? It's such a Rutgers thing to do. 
Like, just like how they claim the 1869 national championship. Oh, they had one win against this team in the last 96 years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. This is so easy. You know, it's yeah. so interesting, too, because Syracuse and Penn State had this rivalry, at least when I was growing up. But the thing is, it, it was kind of like Miami and Syracuse when I got just a little bit older. It wasn't really a rivalry. Penn State was much better than Syracuse. And once Syracuse got better, Joe Paw said, you know what, screw you, I'm done. But SU never really beat Penn State a lot. And <laughs> Rutgers is trying to do that, but, like, even more so because they don't play and Rutgers never wins. So it's like, it's it's... Yeah, it's 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 so weird. Like I said before, it's just so not based in reality that it's comical. And I think by September, this is all gone because Rutgers will be, and Rutgers is just going to get annihilated in the Big Ten. I mean, the last, it won't be interesting for them. Rutgers and Penn State played every year from 1980. Not well, well, they played every year from like 82 to 95. The last the last bunch of games, Penn State 59 to 34. Penn State fifty-five to twenty-seven, Penn State thirty-one to seven, ninety-four was fairly competitive thirty-eight twenty-four, which was like when we went to Penn State about the same thing. Before that, 27-17, nothing, seventeen nothing. Oh, then they they got that win in, in eighty-eight, but uh, it's bad. It's a bad record. I mean, I, I, and Dan, you and I talked about this last summer. Rutgers doesn't understand what they've done in joining the Big Ten. You've You've given the Big Ten teams a bridge to New Jersey, which is a rising recruiting ground, and you're going to pay the price. And Maryland's going to see the same thing. They created a bridge from the Midwest to, you know, great recruiting grounds in Maryland, Virginia, and New Jersey, and they're going to feel they're going to feel the pain, and they're going to be faced with finding you know players from out of state, and it's not going to happen. I mean, these are two programs that just overplayed their hand and are, and are going to get screwed royally. And it's not like the Big Ten wasn't already there. Like, it was Wisconsin recruits there a lot, Michigan recruits there a lot, but now, like, they can not only recruit there, but they can tell teams, hey, or kids, or, hey, we're not play here twice during your college career if they're in the same division. So it's just like a leg up. Like, the Big Ten was getting most of those elite players anyway. So now they're going to dip into, like, the four-star kids, the, the high three-star kids that Rutgers made its living on the last couple of years. And that kid, instead of, you know, might have been shy, shy away from going to uh, a Michigan or a Michigan State because they were only they were never going to see, you know, get to play at home, now they have to play there every couple of years. And that might be enough for a lot of these kids. All right, well, enough about a program that doesn't matter. Let's talk about a program that does matter. Uh, posted today and for the listeners yesterday um, about the potential Syracuse football rebrand. Um, I don't know if you guys got to check out the article earlier. Uh, but some exci- potentially exciting stuff, despite the fact that blue is, it looks like it's it's pretty much gone from the identity scheme. But at the same time, I think we're seeing perhaps a return to a little bit more Syracuse tradition across the board, not just in football, but in basketball too. And I'm just curious. Uh, if you guys kind of agree, if you think that this is a really good thing that we really need to kind of forge a new identity in, in the ACC um, in terms of uniforms and logo and just in general, like, the visual elements that we're using. Um, I thought that the whole thing, I think there's definitely something to it. I don't know if it's an overall rebrand. Like, I don't think the block S is going anywhere just because I think that, like, is becoming kind of a really easily identifiable thing for Syracuse. I actually just I should have went and looked at it because it interests me. I just got my like donation letter from Athletics. I wonder what's on there in terms of branding stuff. But um, no, it is interesting because we hadn't seen a lot of like non-blocked S stuff, and it, uh, you actually can see it a little bit in that letter that you showed on the uh, on the site. It's just kind of like a a watermark it looks like, or it's on the other side of the letter. But um, it's definitely interesting uh, going to the script and and a lot more of the pushing the. Uh, the history. I think it's a good idea. I mean, that's where, you know, as much as as solid as the program has been the last couple of years and how it's getting better, our bread and butter is going to be the history and the recognizable names that kids might not know be, uh, are Syracuse alums. Like, I'm sure your average high school football player doesn't know that Donovan McNabb went here. Like, that's probably that's a reality, I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, they, they know who Jim Brown is, but they don't know he's a Syracuse guy. So making that 
super apparent, and then also bringing in how you know the program's been improved the last couple of years, and and obviously all the stuff the coaches have to say. I think it's a really good move, and I'm hoping to see more of it. And I'm excited to see like the app that they've launched and everything else, because just I'm always interested in the way that our program sells itself. Yeah, I don't know if this is a rebrand as much as it's just as the whole Nike thing is an homage to the past. Football-wise, the script Syracuse, I don't think, ever appeared on a jersey. I know it obviously never appeared on a helmet. So I don't think that's actually going to be some type of rebrand necessarily. I just think it's the continuing brand of Daryl Gross and Nike and what they're pushing for Syracuse. So you've got the modern, what is now the black ass. It's always been there in one form or another, but is what it is now that we know. And then it's also, hey, don't forget about the retro, which we can also sell and hawk and make money off of with basketball, football, and even lacrosse for that matter. So I don't know if this is necessarily anything more than just a tool for SU to talk, you know, obviously with John had with the site today with the recruiting, or if it's just simply to have the script Syracuse on T-shirts to sell, or if it's occasional throwbacks with football or with basketball and lacrosse maybe, but I don't know if this is a rebrand. It's just the continuing of Nike and Syracuse figuring things out as things go. That's always been the case with Syracuse. It doesn't have the Alabama football-style jerseys that will never change. SU's football jerseys have changed on and off forever, really. They had a stretch where it was basically the same thing for a while, but more or less SU has changed. It's, it's, in one form or another, it's changed things up a lot in football every couple of years in basketball. And we've seen in lacrosse is really the same thing, too. So I don't know if it's so much more than just simply we're going to change it up a little bit, we're going to add some stuff, we're going to try to sell some stuff and try to make it cool. And I think we all agree the retro is pretty damn cool. I loved it back when I was a kid, and I, I wanted to keep as is. But whatever they're doing with this, I'm, I'm really cool with it. Even the platinum stuff, I know that's gone, and I think a lot of people think rightfully so. But I didn't hate it. It's an alternative. It's something to throw out there, and they're trying to make money. So, you know, more power to them, I guess. But ultimately, I, I don't think it's a rebrand necessarily. I think it's just the continuing of figuring things out as everybody, Nike and its college apparel and Syracuse, goes forward. I think we'll know sooner rather than later, because I think we're going to see those football jerseys in the near future. Like, I think that's going to be coming out soon. I do agree. I do think that Syracuse football, as we've kind of, as people have alluded to, there is definitely something coming with SU football. Definitely a change, one way or another. Maybe drastic, maybe not so much. I don't know if oh. I don't. I don't know if that's a rebrand or not. But I don't think it'll be anything authentic or a retro style. I think it'll just be something different that Nike's done fairly progressively, fairly regularly with Syracuse and a lot of programs. I mean, to me, I heard. I don't know where the hell I mentioned in the comments. I don't remember where I heard the rumor that the jerseys were going to get unveiled during the spring game. But They're on campus. The jerseys are on campus. I know that much. I don't know anything about what they look like. Yeah, the jerseys are on campus. I'm assuming they're coming out during the spring game to try to boost our spring game attendance numbers. Um, so people get a first glimpse and perhaps... You know, Doc Gross himself is hawking uniforms at the game. I mean, if I were them, that's what I'd be doing. <laughs> Out of the trunk. I just see, like, him dressed as, like, a carny in, like, one of the booths at the Dome, like, selling jerseys with, like, an old-timey accent. <laughs> hey, step right up here. I want the jersey. Okay, come on, guys. So, admittedly, I mean, if this if this jersey holds true to a lot of the identity elements I think we've seen begun to get trotted out, um... I mean, I you could pencil me in for one. If if it holds true to kind of a lot of the things we've seen with the original orange stuff um, and the throwback Syracuse uniform that we wore in that god-awful BC game. I mean, I, I, I hate to see blue go, but if it's going to, um, I, I want it to be, and we've said this, like I want it to be a more retro look rather than um, like a you know, Nike hyper elite nonsense where it's just all platinum with like some orange highlights. When you say you want retro, John, are you saying that you want the 87-ish or whatever it was, 85-ish to 2003-4-ish? Like the blue top, well, orange white pants, orange helmet type thing? I or mean, are you saying you want something I, like a way throwback, like to the, you know, Joe Morris, even further back era? 
I feel like, I mean, I would love to, to, like, I felt like our recent uniforms were very much like a slight nod to the glory, to the second glory years, um, you know, from the late 80s through the late 90s. I mean, it wasn't an exact, but you're, you're basically, you're playing today's um, recruits, so you can't do an exact replica for the most part. Uh, but I did feel like it was very much a nod to those days, um, obviously with some extra, like, piping of, like, the modern jersey design. Um, but what I want to see now is, I mean, I would love to keep it, orange, like, primarily blue uniform with orange accents, but I have a feeling we're not headed that way. So if, if we're headed in a complete departure, then then I want to see us go way, way back rather than, you know become some, like, crazy platinum university of the East. I mean, granted, it's worked out pretty well for Baylor in Oregon. Um, so, you know, may- maybe I'm just complaining about nothing, and maybe if we become the Oregon or Baylor of the East, start using our indoor um, home to our advantage and just start recruiting, you know, like guys who run four four like four four less 40s, um, and just use speed and, like, ridiculous uniforms as our selling point, and maybe, you know, that's what creates an uptake in recruiting. Yeah, I'm not too worried about it. I mean, whatever whatever the kids like. Like, I really, like, unless it's an abysmal jersey, I am cool with more or less whatever era it's from, um, blue or orange or whatever. Like, the the, the, the platinum jerseys we wore a couple of years that were hideous in basketball, but... Like other than that, I, I mean, I really like the, the the throwback set this year, and I wish we had won a game in them so we could have seen more of them with the orange shorts. Um, but you know, last week, you know, it completely ruined our season. But uh, <laughs> I've like I like I actually really like the current football jerseys. So if they're kind of like that, um, I'd be okay as long as they're not like just totally ridiculous. It was interesting back in like '03 and, and definitely at the end of the past Colonial Four era where people said. This program needs a complete overhaul, a complete change. Let's get rid of Pascalonia. Let's update the uniforms. They're not modern. They're, they don't, they're not necessarily a throwback. This team's losing. This program's losing. And then, you know, Robinson comes in, and they changed the jersey, jerseys in 05, and all of a sudden it became like a, well, you know, maybe in 07, 08, everyone said, get rid of Robinson, and these jerseys stink. We need to go back to the way that we're, the, you know, the McNabb era or the McPherson era. And uh, so it's, it's funny how uniforms are kind of tied to your nostalgia in some way or another as a fan. And I'm definitely falling into the same category. But ultimately, I'm pretty cool with the way, the way they look this season. I did not care for the mesh, weird spray paint helmet and, and jersey look that SU wore for a couple games. But I really thought, even on road games, maybe especially in road games, at Florida State comes to mind where Syracuse kind of popped a little bit with the, the true orange helmet, the true white jersey. You know, it just it looked... I don't know, it looked good to me, but like Dan said, whatever works. Ultimately, it's about, we're, especially us, we are in, no matter what. If we're in the area, we're at a game, otherwise we're watching. But for the recruits, they aren't necessarily in. And it's kind of dumb sounding, but it's not, you know, it's a factor no matter what. If the recruit is going to say, well, these two schools are kind of equal, but this one school has pretty cool uniforms, if that's ultimately a, a factor, then hell. Let it be a factor. Go Baylor, go Oregon. Just mess around and see what works. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at who we're competing against for recruits, I mean, if we're competing against BC and against Pitt and against Penn State and against, like, SUNJ, um, and I don't think they're a factor here, um, to me, like, it, it begrudgingly, like, I want the, the stupid orange chrome helmets and all the other stuff because... That's what's going to get recruits in the area. And if you look at, like, Pitt's uniforms look historically significant, but then you look at Pitt and go, mm, yeah, but you guys have kind of sucked for most of the last, like, 30 years. <coughs> so, <laughs> like, I mean, not like we haven't had our own down moment. But, you know, you look at Pitt and you go, yeah, you look like you're an important program, but, eh, not so much. And, like, you know, same thing goes for B.C., like having just these kind of like pseudo historic uniforms. Like if you're if you're you know a kid from like an urban area, 
And they're like, oh, well, you know, all my teammates on my team are going to, you know, these schools either that have this ridiculous amount of history and these really traditional uniform sets or they're going to these places that have these really awesome, like, uniforms, like whether it's Oregon or Baylor or um, uh, name another place. Like, you sit there and go, okay, like, weighing my options, like, I kind of think we need to go to an extreme. Like, if we're going to be, if we're going to make some hay down south in recruiting, and if we're going to make hay in the Northeast and differentiate ourselves, as much as I, as a fan, and, you know, as someone who's getting progressively older as a fan, would rather something traditional that I don't feel embarrassed to wear to a bar, um, I'd kind of rather we just get the great players, and I don't care what the hell we're wearing. I just want to win games. Yeah, I think ultimately, like Matt said, it, it really ties into how the team is doing. Um, I mean, I looked at the, the uniforms like the couple of years before I got to Syracuse, the 06, 07s, and they were pretty ugly. But if Greg Robinson had become like the Messiah and won like 10 games a year, I think we'd still be wearing them. Or we'd <laughs> at least look back on them pretty fondly, even if even though right now I think they're pretty hideous. Um, I don't know if there's anything you could do to fix the, uh, the orange-on-orange mismatched ones, but... You never know. Like, if they had just, like, blown some teams out in those jerseys, I don't think people would make fun of them so much. The only thing I didn't particularly care for with the the change this year was that helmet. Otherwise, I agree. I think, ultimately, winning is the best deodorant. It covers up any smell and evidently any sight. I agree with you. Definitely didn't. That helmet I still think would have been okay if they had worn orange jerseys. I'm still, like, I still wish we had seen that, but I don't... I don't think that helmet is off uh, in the future plans either. I think the whole thing is is getting changed. I think that was kind of a, hey, let's throw something together quick. Oh, okay, this looks done. Let's just throw it to the crowd type of thing. I don't yeah, I think it was now. Just, I think it was just like a screw it, throw it out there. And they did. Especially that's weird, though, because the helmet is a thing that you sell. Like, it's not like everyone's going to go buy that helmet because <laughs> that's, that's like a, a completely unnecessary and no one's going to do that. <laughs> to go with their collection of helmets. Hey, everyone wants to buy $400 shut helmets that we're never going to have a practical <laughs> use. That says right on it that you can't use for context. <laughs> I mean, admittedly, I was pretty annoyed when they came out with that helmet because I have a miniature Syracuse helmet that I keep on my desk. And for me, like, having to get a new Syracuse helmet to keep on my desk would have been incredibly aggravating, especially when it looked as heinous as that one did. <laughs> uh, the off season is really anyway, ridiculous. <laughs> we have fun <laughs> about helmets and record, and just absurd record things. We need we need a sport and lacrosse. Like I know they won this past weekend, but like I need a lacrosse team to be like incredible. I, I can't deal with a mediocre lacrosse team. And even then, well, I don't think any of us know what that means. Yeah, this like I wasn't around the year they went like under five hundred. Every I year, would. like, we've been at least pretty decent. Like, my, for my freshman year, we went to the Final Four. Last year, we went to the Final Four. And, like, the years between, everyone, like, complains about because we weren't, like, we weren't Syracuse lacrosse. We were still pretty damn good all those years. Um, this year, I've been able to watch most of all the games. I've seen, like, parts just because it's harder to watch them down here. Um, but it's just annoying. <laughs> I mean, this year reminds me of, what was it? Was it 2012? Whatever the year that we had to win the Big East tournament to get in, we went like yeah, seven. That was, seven. That, was that was twelve. Yeah, it was twelve. Two thousand twelve. Yeah, this reminds me a lot of two thousand twelve. We're a team that can beat anybody, and we can also lose to anybody. So I guess we're just like the basketball team. Um, the problem is that we might not even make it. Just, so well, right. I mean, but the point is, like, this is a frustrating team in the sense that. I feel like anything can happen, um, and, and I'm not really sure. Like, I watched the Notre Dame game. I, wa- I mean, I can't watch every game out here. But watch the Notre Dame game. I watched the, uh, the uh, Hopkins game. And I saw a team that, despite some struggles um, you know, with face-offs, uh, was just really, really showed itself capable of scoring goals. And, and, and I think in the past, you know, we've had issues with, with scoring that, that have prevented us from really realizing our full potential. I feel like here... Um, it's it, it's face-offs and face-offs alone 
um, that are preventing us from from realizing our potential. Um, and, and I'm curious about this team, but I'm trying to temper expectations. I know we're not as bad as the 07 team that went five and eight, but I know that we could very realistically be a 500 team that needs to go on, you know, uh, an ACC tournament run to get themselves to the postseason. And it might not even make the ACC tournament. <laughs> yeah. I and think this offense is, is pretty good. Like, I think the offense is one of the better ones we've had since we were making Final Fours every year. I think, obviously, the face-offs is, like, the number one issue. Uh, it would be nice if we had, like, like Glaude or, or, or Jim Simmons on the chat podcast. They probably know more lacrosse than any of us combined. Um, but I, I feel like watching the Notre Dame game, one of the big factors there was Brandon Mullins probably had his best game of the year at the uh, Lawnsted Mid, and I hope that's like an emerging thing because this is the first year where we don't have like a real lockdown Lawnsted Mid guy or or even just regular Lawnsted defender. Like we've had, we've kind of gotten spoiled with like Joel White and, and those kind of guys this, uh, the last couple of years, and this year we've had a bunch of opposing offensive players just go like ridiculous, put ridiculous numbers of goals up on us. And uh, I don't know if we have that lockdown defender this year. And then obviously having the the not being able to get the possession ever doesn't help because you know we don't really know how good the goalie or the defense are because they're always playing. Like the offense just never has the ball. That Duke game was just unbelievable, unbelievable how bad that was. And I know it was the worst in 37 years, and it was as Everything that could go wrong did go wrong, but even just in a vacuum to see SU have zero chance, not just to get beat pretty bad. I remember some of those games. Um, even in, prior to 07, I want to say maybe 04, maybe it was 03, there was a couple really rough rough for SU years. I grew up old with it, like 17 straight Final Fours, but in that new game, when it got down early, there was just no chance. And you knew it. It was you could feel that there was zero chance that Syracuse was actually going to win that game. And you knew pretty early on not only was Syracuse not going to win, it was going to get blown out. And it was it was weird. It just felt strange to see. It was it kinda of reminiscent and I hate to say it, but it was kinda of reminiscent of SU football, the transition from Pascaloni to Robinson. Obviously Desco is world worlds about better than, than either of the two people I just mentioned, but when Robinson took over, about five, six games into his, you know, era, you could tell, boy, he's not very good. This team could get beat by 80 today. And in that game on uh, a couple weeks ago now, it felt like, boy, Syracuse could get beat by 15 goals. And it ended up being almost as bad as I thought. Yeah, I mean, I had the displeasure after 2007. Of work, I worked for the Lion Lizard um, Major League Lacrosse team um, that season, well, like following that season. Um, as an intern, and everybody there uh, went to, a, like, a couple of guys went to Brown that were, like, in charge of the team. The GM went to Fairfield. I mean, and even, like, these teams are, like, we don't really, like, pay any mind to. Like, to see the, like, outright celebration when, like, Syracuse didn't make the tournament <laughs> was just, like, I mean, it, it was a reminder of our place in lacrosse. And... You know, I think we're kind of still, as lacrosse continues to evolve over the last half decade or so, I think we're still really finding our place and finding where exactly we fit. Um, and I don't think we fit in the same place we used to, uh, but that doesn't mean that we have to fall by the wayside. I'm okay with more teams entering the conversation. I think that's – I've talked about it before. I think that's healthy for lacrosse and, you know, in terms of it becoming a more prominent sport. Um, so I'm okay with not making the Final Four every year. Like I think the expectations have to shift based on just more teams entering the fray and and becoming like viable contenders. But there's a big difference between that and then also just not adjusting to face-off issues that have been plaguing the team for four or five years, like consistently. Yeah, and, and I think that that's kind of the difference between like you know. What happened in the national title game last year versus, you know, what hap- what has happened to a couple, like, traditional... I think, not to overreact, but Hopkins, to a point, a team that just kind of got by on a name without understanding that 
a name doesn't mean shit if you don't have if you're not recruiting the talent, you're not winning the games. And like we've been winning the games, but at the same time, like it's winning the games despite a glaring error that in the most key moments has really, really killed us. Um, and I'm just hoping that that's something that we kind of turn around as a program. Uh, we can get anyone lacrosse if we want, but uh, I wanted to just jump into beer for a few uh, while we're a little bit past the halfway mark. So, uh, Matt, what you got? I know we haven't had a uh, beer-centric podcast in a couple weeks, so I hope everyone has at least a couple beers to talk about. I uh, was able to go out Friday night. Wife and I actually went out for the first time in a long time and uh, ended up having eventually switched it over to just regular Boston Lager Sam, but started the night off uh, with a Southern Tier and then went over to uh, the Dale's Pale Ale that I've talked about a bunch here on the podcast and also had an Arrogant Bastard for the first time in a really long time. I was at a place here, Maggie's on the River here locally for anyone in upstate New York and specifically up further from Syracuse. Maggie's has a great selection and uh, and I had another beer, and I honestly cannot think of what I had. But the uh, the arrogant bass really just hit home, felt great, tasted great, along with the Dales. Um, so I had a fun, fun Friday night. Those were the three of the biggies. And then I switched over to Lager and just kind of hung out with Boston, with Sam Adams Boston Lager for, for the latter part of the night. But initially it was a, it was a good start, and arrogant really just hit home for me. Dan, what you got? Uh, a couple different things. I, I think the last time we did this was before the ACC tournament, so it's been a while. Um, well, it was after, but I think that was the last time we had one of these, or I was on one of these anyway. I might have missed one between. But um, I think last time I was here I talked about that you sent over uh, Pliny the Elder, which I was drinking during the podcast, and it was great. Uh, John was also kind enough to send Cezanne uh, DeLent from the brewery, which was similarly very good. Saisons uh, have been kind of trying out more and more of those, and there's a lot that are just absolutely delicious. Like they're, they've, I think, a really high ceiling as a as a beer style, uh, which is nice. Some of them are kind of mediocre, but that one was excellent. Um, I'm trying to think of some other things I've had uh, that are new. I tried when I was down in Carolina. I tried some Carolina type, you know, brews that I can't get up here. Uh, I had Happy Medium Imperial Brown Ale from Foothills which I believe is right in Winston-Salem, which was pretty good. Um, I had uh, Two-Hearted Ale by Bells, which I believe is also in North Carolina, although I could be wrong, um, which was also pretty oh, solid. Michigan, but they have a nice um, distro in North Carolina, I know. Okay, that's why. I saw it everywhere, so I assumed it was North Carolina. Um, and then uh, I had Centennial IPA by Founders, which is not in North Carolina. That's... Uh, uh, also in Michigan, I believe that was really good. And uh, Founders made just great beers. Um, I've talked about some of their stuff before. Uh, and then going through nothing else that's really. Cr- I tried to. Uh, you're ta- you know bringing up Dale's Pale Ale. I, I didn't have Dale's recently, but I had uh, Mama's Little Yellow Pills, which is from Oscar Blues, which is pretty solid as well. That's why there's a Pale Ale. I'd stick with the Pale Ale if you only have one choice there. Um, and then you know recently I've just been drinking a lot of Saranac. Uh, just because of the place right by my house that we, that my friends and I go a lot, and they have a Saranac Pale Ale, so that's kind of been my go-to recently in terms of things I can find really easily. Fair enough. Um, and Dan was talking about a recent trade he and I completed, and uh, I have to say, uh, New England Brewing, uh, Gandhi Bot, just holy shit, like, such a great beer. Um, I had, like, for some reason, like, I had, like, three or four trades that all kind of uh, completed at once, so I have just, like, a ton of stuff sitting around here. So I've been trying to do that. Um, I know I've mentioned it to everyone here, but uh, on the podcast, I will be in Dallas for the Final Four, despite the fact that Syracuse is not there. Um, so I'll be reporting all the misery next week um, when it's very close to being a nightmare Final Four for Syracuse. Um really hoping that a team decides UConn or Kentucky wins this thing because I don't really know how much my heart can take. Um, beers I've had lately, uh, I've had quite a few. Uh, I know after the game, uh, after Syracuse game against Dayton, I was uh, in Planet Hollywood in Vegas. Um, 
chug the rest of my, like, double shot, whatever, and then proceeded to throw my drink into the wall. Because that's the type of thing you do when you're in Vegas and you're incredibly angry that your team decided to ship them the tournament. <laughs> Luckily, no one would judge you in Vegas, which I think was the uh, the saving grace there. Um, a couple things I've been drinking a lot of lately. Um, Ponto Session IPA from Pizza Port. Um, Pizza Port's down in the San Diego area. Um, Ponto is their, uh, their Session IPA, obviously. Um, hangs around like four and a half percent, but really, really nice, um, you know, IPA, just the same. It's got a really nice hop character, really, really nice Christmas to it. Um, for those in the area, at least over here, highly recommended. Um, also grabbed some beer on the way out of Vegas, the drove back home. Um, had a uh, hop ride IPA from Tonight Creek Brewery that's uh, arguably the best brewery in Las Vegas, in the Las Vegas area at least. Um, that was an enjoyable brew. Um, some others I've been having a lot of. Uh, was hanging around a couple of breweries down in Anaheim last Saturday uh, to try to avoid watching basketball as much as possible. Uh, I drank Simcoe showers from uh, Noble Ale Works. Uh, they have like their quote-unquote showers series where they uh, highlight different uh, strains of hops uh, with each one. So like every couple of months they send one out. Simcoe Showers is the most recent. I really, really enjoyed that one. Um, stopped by the brewery for some uh, Humulus Lager, which is their, like, uh, pale ale. Uh, they promise as a brewery that they will never brew an IPA, uh, and that's the closest it'll ever get. And it's still a really, really enjoyable beer. Um, had some fresh-squeezed IPA from a uh, uh brewery um, up in Oregon. I also had a uh, Glimmer Glass uh, Summer Saison from uh, Oma Gang. That was the uh, long and short of my recent, although just uh, started the podcast with a uh, six-point high-res that I got from a uh, trade. Everyone should be, uh, most of the people that listen to the podcast anyway, can probably grab some uh, six-point. It's brewed over in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty easy to find. Yeah. For me, not so much, but that's it. I always try to work in a couple uh, suggestions that people can actually go ahead and find. And I'll be uh, be trying out a bunch of different Texas beers when I am down in the Dallas and Fort Worth area. I'll report back on those next week. Um, Yeah, for the rest of the uh, podcast, well, at least some of it, uh, next year's team. Uh, We still haven't heard back from Jeremy Grant. I know everyone that was on the emergency podcast uh, provided a uh, gut check reaction, but no, Matt and I were both not present there. Um, Neither was my voice, so, what so we... I guess if I was actually being able to be heard there. <laughs> <laughs> See, what, what do we think? We'll start with you, Dan. Um, do, do we think Grant's staying? Do we think it matters if he does or not? Um, in that podcast, I said that they were both leaving. Um, I Grant was definitely the more uh, questionable one for me, just because I think I think one of the reasons Ennis was able to go pretty safely is while this draft is pretty stacked, it's not overly point guard heavy. I, we have you know Marcus Smart, who's not a true point guard. Um, he could probably play it in the NBA, but it's not like 100. percent You have um, Dante Exum from uh, Australia, I believe, who's pretty nasty based on highlights, but you know, and he's probably going to be the first one taken if he declares, which I'm, I'm assuming he's doing. Um, but then it's really there's not much else. I mean, the Harrisons are are are, uh, are on fire right now, but I don't know if one of them is going to jump uh, Ennis. So he's really going to be at worst probably the third point guard taken. And there's always teams that need point guards. So while the draft the being heavy hurts a lot of prospects and a lot of prospects that have already left, which is weird, like Noah Vonley and, and Jakar Sampson, which is, makes no sense to me. Um, I think the, the, the draft being heavy is uh, um, very forward heavy uh, and two-guard heavy as well, but there's, there's not a ton of points, but there are a lot of people that play Jeremy Grant's position. So I think there's a better chance he stays, but I'm not confident that he will. So we'll see. I hope he just decides it soon, because I want to get all like the gnashing of teeth over with and figure out what next year's teams it'll look like. 
I think it it definitely better serves Jeremy Grant to wait as long as he can know just to see who does, in fact, come out and who doesn't. We know the guys that will, like Embiid, I don't believe, has officially declared he's out. We know Wiggins just did. Obviously, Ennis is. The rant, you know, Kentucky as a team could come out any day after it loses. So I think it better serves Jeremy Grant to wait as long as possible. But I, 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 I spoke with Brent Axe on my radio show the other day, and I was pretty convinced at least myself, that Jeremy was not going to come back, or that he was going to come back, excuse me. And Brent laid it out for me and said, ultimately, and he had a bunch of reasons, but ultimately he said, if you're a projected lottery pick, or at least top 20 pick, if you're in the first round, why wouldn't you go? That money is going to be there, and you can get an agent, and he has family backing, and his family, his dad, obviously, and his uncle, as we've heard a million times over, know what it takes to get into the NBA and what it takes to succeed in the NBA and just even the growth that Grant has shown from last season and this season, in a lot of ways, yes, he could come back and maybe instead of being the 17th player chosen this season, he might move up to the top 14 or whatever. But that's not a guarantee either. So if there are a lot of people that tell him and a lot of people that know, you know, that actually have some idea of what is happening, if they say, listen, you can actually go in the top 20, have good team workouts, have a good draft or camp, pre-draft camp in Chicago. You, you will do no worse than top 20. And if a number of people tell you that, then you, it's just like Tyler. You, you just you have to go. And uh, Jakar Sampson, as Dan mentioned, that's not a guarantee. That is a weird outlier. But a lot of the guys that will declare that will go early are being told, and they're not being told by agents, they're being told by teams, by management, by, you know, whomever, that they can go. And if that's the case for Jeremy, there's no reason for him not to go. I get coming back and working on your this and that, but if he's going to be top 20, top 18 this season, it won't be that much better next year. He won't be a top pick next year. He won't be number one if he comes back. So go and work on your game and get paid millions to do so. You know, if... If going pro is an issue, he'll get no more time than as a professional to work on his game. So I I, I was a little torn, a little on the fence, talked with Brent in the show now, I'm thinking even though it's a little later than Tyler, but we all, I think, were thrown off a little bit by Tyler's eagerness to go pro. Grant's maybe not so much because he has flaws and he's raw and he's got to wait and see who else goes pro and get the data. But ultimately, I think he does go pro, and I do think that's a huge issue for SU next season. That is a guy that could be a guaranteed double-double that's gone. That could be a guy that steps in and replaces C.J. Fair relatively easily, or at least somewhat easily, and or easily, and I think for Syracuse's purposes, Grant going is massive. You're losing the experience and the talent and the production, and that is huge. That's a, That could literally, and I hate to be these people that are on, you know, the sky is falling, but without Jeremy Grant, even with the incoming freshmen and, and the unknown of Daywan Coleman and everything else, without Grant, this team really could be NIC. It, I don't think it, but it could be on that borderline for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know what? Like, oddly enough, I kind of agree with Dayheim here. I know he said, like, recently, um, there are, like, 40 guys being told they're a top-ten pick this year. Um, it's a really deep draft. We've known it's a really deep draft for several years now. Um, and if you're someone like Tyler Ennis, um, I don't blame you for leaving. You, I mean, you did a ton in just one year. Your stock is arguably never going to be higher. And yeah, he has some flaws as well, but you can definitely see he's a great passer. And and if he was surrounded by shooters, which he wasn't at Syracuse, um, He's someone who can really rack up 10 to 12 assists a game. Um, I think every NBA scout sees that. I think that the talent evaluators understand that and have told him that. And he's made the smart decision to head to the NBA. Um, I think for Grant, I think he's doing the smart thing for himself, which is, is waiting it out. Um, you know, like like you guys both mentioned, he, ha- he has NBA-caliber talent and, and, and knowledge around him, um, given his family history, and I just think that you know, he, he's waiting to see who's in and who's out um, from this draft um, and seeing where he is. I mean, Bayheim said there are, you know, again, 40 kids being called their top 10 picks. There's no way in hell all of those kids are going top 10, obviously. I think Grant sees the potential for this team next year. 
Uh, and, and, and I've said in the comments a couple times that I really, really, really like the depth that this team um, has next year if, if Beheim chooses to use it. Um, but I think Grant's is kind of going to have to weigh um, where people evaluate him. Can he get anything out of another year? And I, I argue, yes, he can. Um, and I wouldn't blame him for leaving, but at the same time, I, I think the returns on him leaving in such a stacked draft class um, are not necessarily what they may be. Like if he had, if he had done all of this last year, I think he would have been a top five pick. The fact that he didn't do it till this year um, in a stacked draft class, I, I think he, uh, I think he could find himself slipping into the mid to late part of the first round. And I don't necessarily think that that's something he would want to do. So. I'm tempted to say he's staying, but but I don't have any information um, that that would suggest that than anybody else doesn't already. Yeah, that's that's the one thing with with Jeremy is I feel like I, who knows what the 2015 draft looks like, but he very seriously could play himself into a like a super high draft pitch, and he's still he's not like like Michael Carter Williams who kind of had to leave because he was very old for his year. Jeremy, I think, is right on line where, like, most college sophomores or juniors are. I don't think he's old for his grade. Um, so I, I could see the pros. I mean, if he gets, if he, if he's, like, pretty much given a guarantee he's going to go top 15 or so, I'm very cool with it. Like, I, I can never really belittle some or, uh, or go against someone's decision to go make millions of dollars, whether or not he can make, like, a couple more hundred thousand uh, but there's no guarantee that he could. I mean, look at Mitch Bedary. Um So it, it is what it is. I, I, I try to. I don't get. I try not to get too emotionally attached in someone else's huge life decision that ultimately doesn't really affect me personally, aside from the team I root for. And I, I think that the whole like if Garrett leaves, this team's gonna be awful thing is overblown a bit. I think as fans, we have a tendency to both completely over uh, over you know, assume that all freshmen that are coming in that get really high ratings are going to be great. But then once they've played a year and, and didn't see the court much, they, like, disappear in our minds. Um, Tyler Roberson was the best player in the state of New Jersey, including Tyler Ennis as a senior. Um, B.J. Johnson was a very highly rated recruit from Kobe Bryant's high school who uh, was, like, one of the best players in Philadelphia. And he was only 17 when the season started. And... Um, you know, Ron Patterson was the best player on Chris McCullough's team, and we all think Chris McCullough is going to be like Michael Jordan and, and Wes Johnson rolled into one. Um, so I think there's still a lot to learn about the players that are already on the bench. And while it would be nice if we had seen them more, um, I don't expect Jim Mayhem to change after 38 years. So those guys are still around, and they're all very good basketball players. And, Looking back the last couple of years, the, the the only two players since I've been a Syracuse fan that come to mind that haven't really panned out are Mookie Jones and Deshante Riley, and that's two out of, like, a couple dozen. So I'm not too worried about them. I think we have a bunch of good basketball players who we still have to learn about who are already in Syracuse, and then we're getting a couple in Caleb Joseph and Chris Matala who are supposed to be very good, and we'll see how they are. But uh, I think that, we, you know, we'll reload. It might not be a great team at the start of the year, and maybe that's not a bad thing because this team was a great team at the start of the year and petered out. So maybe a team that grows and develops and gets better during the course of the year will be a fun change and maybe will surprise some people. I totally agree with you, Dan, but I do think that uh, I, I, I just I temper – if Grant goes, I temper things greatly just because Tyler Ennis did play as a freshman, and Jeremy Grant did play as a freshman, and, and Trevor Cooney, for whatever purpose, did play as a freshman. And you go throughout, even just the last few years, with some of the freshmen that did get playing time, and there's a reason that Patterson and Roberson didn't get playing time, and there's a reason that before he was injured, Coleman still couldn't really figure himself out. And so I, I just kind of trust Bayheim in the sense that, like I totally agree with you, Dan. I'm not even arguing this because I do agree that Develop, talent is developed at Syracuse, but whether or not that talent will be ready for next season is where I think people can say, you don't have to jump off the ledge. But if Grant does go, I think it's the NIT is somewhat of a worthy worthy you know, rationale for the year just because 
these guys weren't ready their freshman year, and that's not a knock on them. They just simply weren't. And now to then say, okay, you will be ready for your sophomore year when theoretically they're going to be freshmen because they never played any significant, meaningful roles. So that's the reason I think if Grant's gone, it's a guy that can kind of replace Fair uh, underneath, and it's a guy that can give you that experience in a double-double potentially every game out. And if he's gone, all that's gone, plus this experience and this kind of go-to factor is also gone, and that's huge for a team that can't score. So I guess that's my only rationale behind whether or not this team may be, you know, kind of on the fence. Uh, who knows? Uh, I don't really think is going to the NIT next season with or without Grant, but I just think it's more in the cards to think that way for a fan rather than to think otherwise, just because all these players will be effectively playing their first season, at least their first minutes as really go-to, so to speak, guys. And that's, I guess, why I think people can probably maybe temper expectation a little bit because there's going to be a lot of unproven people, especially without Grant, and those offensive issues will be double because Grant was at least somebody underneath that could put the ball in the basket. See, I'm actually uh, of the opinion that next year's team could actually be better. Um, not in the not in the start necessarily. I think they're gonna they're gonna take their lumps early. Um, I mean, obviously that depends on uh, non-conference schedule as well. And I really do hope that Georgetown is on that non-conference schedule. But they just seem like they're avoiding. I, I don't know what's up with them. <laughs> well, George. I mean, Georgetown proved this year that they suck. I mean, they've done it before, but, but this is – you're looking at a Big East program that understand, that is suddenly coming to grips with the, the reality of, of where college basketball is, and that is that they have been relevant for all of maybe three or four years in the past 20. Uh, and that's highly unfortunate for that program. Um, and I'm curious to see if, if they understand that their success is intrinsically tied to ours and if they want to be relevant, that, that involves playing Syracuse at least once um, every season. But to me, I think next year's team, I mean, I, I buy into Caleb Joseph. I don't think he's an early, but I do think that he is um, someone who will be very capable of running the point. Um, whether Grant comes back or not, I think, you know, I, I don't like to doubt Bayheim, but I think he misused our, our depth and created a lack of it um, this year. Uh, and I think next year, you know, we have we have Raheem Christmas, we have Coleman, we have... Um, we have Tino Bogo. These are all players that, that, that can dominate in the paint and... and and maybe next year isn't isn't about guard play as much as it's about inside play. And I think we have those guys. Um, I think Roberson can play a lot of positions. I I've said this over and over again since the NC State game and the ACC tournament that I think that uh, Benajay can average 16 a game. Um, the, the hope is not lost for the team, and I think we have a lot going on. And I'm very very curious to see. Um, how things shake out early next year. Yeah, it, it's it, it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be the most unknown team that we've had in a long time. Uh, there's just so much, like, especially if Grant leaves, there's just we're going to have a lot of new pieces out there, and a couple of that hopefully will solve the shooting woes because um, obviously we've seen what Ron Patterson can do uh, from, like, 27 feet uncontested at the end of games. So hopefully he can translate that a bit. B.J. Johnson is supposed to be the best shooter of that class. I have not given up on the hope that Trevor Cooney figures it out how to be more consistent. I just don't see him getting worse. I'm sure he'll get better. Um, and then Caleb, I think with Caleb at the point, um, at least this team will play faster because he's a much more athletic guard. I don't think he'll be as good as Tyler because that would be a ridiculous thing to assume. But I think the team will play a, a more up-tempo brand of basketball once again rather than this year's team, which was really hard to watch, especially when it wasn't hitting shots. All right. So on that note, um, we'll wrap up. I know the uh, kind of sending British woman has really uh, got into full force in my ear, at least. So uh, any last, uh, last parting notes for you guys before we uh, sign off? 
Uh, no, I guess it's baseball season now, so it's going to be a while. But can't wait for football to get back. I need it in my life. Yeah, football. There's just, there's excitement with football. There's the unknown excitement with basketball, and and who the hell knows with with lacrosse right now. So it's still not all that bad for SU fans for sure. Things are definitely not that. But there's always a ton to talk about with SU, and that's a good note. Also, if you're in the area up north, Watertown, check out my radio show Friday on uh, Fox Sports 1410, 7 to 9 a.m. Friday morning. My little plug there. Thank you. No problem at all. Um, <laughs> and that'll be that. Uh, I'm John Casillo. That was Dan Lyons and Matt McCluskey. Uh, this is Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink here on the Troy News Netflix Magician Podcast Network. And uh, go orange in your various athletic endeavors. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.